0: Being in a seat where you where you get to make the investment decisions uh, is critical. Uh, if, if you think about Latin, Latinos in venture capital, we manage one percent of assets under management in this in this asset class. If you think about Latinas, there are probably a dozen of us who are running our own firms uh, with with you know, at the partner level or above, and so. It is a very small ecosystem and research has shown the more diverse the check writers are, the more diverse the portfolio is, Um, anywhere from two to six X, you could be two to six X more likely to invest in a woman if you're a woman. Uh, And so the diversity at the check writing level, I think, is at an inflection point right now. We have growth of the micro VC ecosystem. So we are at an inflection point where there are more and more niche funds uh, seeking to do things differently.
1: You're listening to Moneda Moose, a podcast where we cover the intersection of money and cultura, I'm your host, Leon Alfaro, a Latina award-winning journalist, producer, and strategist. On this podcast, I will highlight stories illustrating Latinx relationships with money, our contributions, and role in the American economy. Here, we'll increase transparency around the netto issues and achievements of our community, as well as that of our POC peers, to inspire you to pursue your own financial poder. Join me bi-weekly as we cover stories with our communities front and center alongside dinero experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators. No te lo quieres perder. Welcome back, Moneda Moves listeners. Now, if you've heard from us before, it should come as no surprise, Latinos are entrepreneurial at their core. Much so that between 2007 and 2017, 50% of all new small businesses created were Latinx-owned. Now, during that same decade, on the flip side only 1% of investment from top venture capital firms went to Latinx-owned businesses. Today, we're going to talk about this jarring gap and speak a little more on this term you've likely heard before, venture capital. It's financing investors give emerging companies with big growth potential. Because while these investment numbers we just heard are not favorable to help companies, especially Latinx-owned companies, scale at large, VC founders and operators like Nora May Cadena of Supply Change Capital are positioned to shake up the space. She's a former Boeing engineer turned investor with three degrees in MIT. Cadena is focused on investing in the intersection of food, culture, and technology. Supply Change Capital does this all the while while focusing on diverse founders, which they are tracking, correctly may I add, to become the majority citizen in the United States. We speak with Cadena about her pivot into venture capital, how she invests in companies, and her biggest findings from her time working in the space. Without further ado, here's Nora May. Thank you so much for joining us, Moneda Moves listeners. And joining us today is no less than Nora May Cadena, a two-times venture capital firm founder and operator, currently leading charge at Supply Change Capital. And it's a pleasure to have her here with us to share her experience in the venture capital world and her life before it as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat with you. Excited to chat with you too. So let's start with the current uh, venture capital firm you run, Supply Change Capital. Can you tell us about the name? I think we were just talking about the play on words there, Supply Change uh, kind of playing to supply chain, which is a very hot topic this year. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, listen, we're, we're just uh, celebrating our one-year anniversary and we were really founded Uh, to support the belief in a future of food system and ecosystem that is uh, sustainability mindful, supply chain efficient. So supply chain is is indeed a big piece of the work we do. Uh, Better for you in terms of health and culture rich. So we invest at this intersection of food, culture and tech to catalyze the, the food system of the future. And, uh, and we were founded to, to really change the face of food. And that means, uh, invest in food with hyper-awareness to the multiculturalism of America.
1: And I think that that's such an important, um, mission for the market, for the future of the market, and how it's supposed to represent the future of the population, our future consumers. So I, I know that in in corporate, uh, we've heard a lot about the importance of inclusivity, but I think it's important for the market. It's important for us to, to contribute to the economy in terms of what the economy will need from us as well. Um, now, Norma, a lot of the people that may be listening on the podcast may not have heard about venture capital until recent years. So we know that this term has been in the mouths of a lot of innovators and businesses for decades, but especially as of late, as it relates to communities of color. So could you explain um, what kind of potential venture capital has and why it's so important? Yeah. Uh,
0: so first of all, my mom would say, uh, uh, because she's heard me talk about venture capital as being very, very similar to Shark Tank. Uh, but nicer and so when she describes this she says bro, the which I just I just absolutely love this is the same woman who when I left California and went to MIT as an undergrad would tell people that I'm I was on the other side of California in Michigan so you've got to love uh you've got to love immigrant moms and uh, their translation uh, but venture <laughs> capital is really a way to catalyze and scale um, the the businesses that really change the way we live. They change the way we live, we function, our quality of life, and all those services that we we take for granted. So um, all the major uh, unicorns that we now know and love that are related to where we stay, how we pay for items, how we access health care, how we hail rides, um, these are all venture-backed companies that started as a as a new business and we're fueled by outside capital to grow. So I'm in the business of, um, be, of functioning at the intersection of innovation, equity, and impact across all, all the work I do. So whether I was in the corporate sector, uh, working for the Boeing company in, in aerospace or launching a venture firm or operating a nonprofit as I did with Latinas and STEM, it really is all about moving innovation to market supporting um, underrepresented and talented founders, and then creating community around them to make them successful. So venture capital has the potential to uh, inject outside private capital into high growth businesses and really make them um, iconic.
1: And there's something so um, I think that that's in the very fabric of being American uh, within the ideal part of venture capital, which is backing potential, backing ideas that have um, the ability to drive innovation in the U.S. and drive it for a community that is inclusive, Um, all words that I heard in your description just now. But I think that that, um, just when I hear the description of venture capital and its potential, it aligns very closely with uh, the reason that a lot of immigrants come here, which is to make a better future, to make their American dream, to seek better possibilities, while also mirroring that with the American ideal of just driving innovation, of being at the cutting edge of what's next. So I think that this is a really interesting kind of pinnacle of a lot of ideals that this country represents and and that with the potential that venture capital has. But just going back to you a little more squarely, you first moved into the VC industry in 2015. And prior to this, as you mentioned, you worked with Boeing in the aerospace industry. What caused this major shift and how did you make that jump? Yeah, that's a great
0: question. You know, I, I really thought that I would be in the corporate sector for the rest of my life, right? Uh, it, was a, it was a coveted job uh, to, to have a stable uh, corporate income with great benefits uh, and, and that stability is so coveted in, in our families. And so I remember when I quit my job and told my parents I was starting my own business, they, uh, they thought I was crazy. And uh, why would I ever do that? So, but, but here's why. I had, I went to business school. I focused on operations and supply chain, really wanted to be a, an operations leader that was grounded by data and really focused on technology. And when I went back to work, post business school i was incredibly impatient and i was i was supporting a team and helping them reduce cost improve schedule to maintain competitiveness with some of these new entrants like SpaceX. And I found it really difficult to operate in that environment because I came to work every day thinking, gosh, I wonder what it's like to be on the other team and to really come to work every day knowing that your mission in life is to beat the incumbent. And so that idea was just so fascinating to me. And I started, and I think it was was the beginning of the end of my corporate career. So I started looking for a venture backed company in Los Angeles to join. I thought that would be the great fit for me. I could wear many hats, move quickly, you know, beat incumbents <laughs> and, and really enjoy my work. And in 2015, the ecosystem in Los Angeles was still fairly small. There weren't very many job opportunities in venture or venture-backed companies. And so I ended up instead meeting an angel investor who had a track record of investing in connected hardware. And we connected on a few key themes, including the fact that LA could be a strong ecosystem for entrepreneurship. Connected devices were going to have, you know, take the spotlight, and we were suckers for the underdog story. And so, I ended up quitting my job and co-founding a venture capital firm with a focus on backing um, backing entrepreneurs building difficult uh, products, the tech you can touch. Uh, at the earliest stages. and and that was my, you know, my deep dive into venture, knowing very little about the sector, not having a formal finance background. And I learned a ton. I made a lot of mistakes, uh, learned a lot, grew my ecosystem. But what really rang true is that this is a, a sector and a place in which the the people who write the checks, and the people who decide whose vision and dream gets a shot at existing are critical in the ecosystem. So that, is, that was probably the biggest lesson I learned, and it has really motivated me to, to stay in this industry, to fight to get more fund managers who look like me and have experience, as I do, right? as, a, as an immigrant, as a first-gen college grad. Uh, to put us in the driver's seat because you know what we're not going to forget that someone created an opportunity for us and that had that not had that on-ramp or ladder or tap on the shoulder or whatever you want to call it had it not existed our life could have been very different and so i come to work you know into my home office uh, (laughs) every day reminded that there is talent everywhere That we have to knock on doors and we have to be visible in the community and we have to be relatable and we have to be easy to find uh, and humble so that we can have access to the talent that exists in our communities.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's it's so important to highlight that you say talent is everywhere because I think this transcends industries, right? Where we hear that talent is everywhere, um, but it, it, the manifesting of it, the the rising of that talent to positions of power to to successful companies and these unicorns seems to be much more scarce. What is happening between the talent is everywhere and the people that sign the checks and getting to that that kind of top of, of the mountain moment? Or perhaps there is no one top of the mountain, but just like getting to that top moment where people can see their ideas and see their companies to fruition. What are the things getting in the way?
0: Yeah, yeah, great question. I think the being being in a seat where you where you get to make the investment decisions uh, is critical. Uh, if, if you think about Latin, Latinos and venture capital, we manage 1%. Of assets under management in this in this asset class. If you think about Latinas, there are probably a dozen of us who are running our own firms uh, with, with at the partner level or above. And so it is a very small ecosystem. And research has shown the Kaufman Fellows uh, Research Journal put out a report that says: the more diverse the check writers are, the more diverse the portfolio is, um, anywhere from two to six you know, 2 to 6x, you could be 2 to 6x more likely to invest in a woman if you're a woman. Uh, And so the diversity at the check writing level, I think, is at an inflection point right now. We have growth of the micro VC ecosystem funds, 100 million and under uh, that we haven't seen, you know, in the last 10 years. Uh, I know every service provider I work with has has talked about growth in either 300X or 300% 300 growth in the number of customers. And so we are at an inflection point where there are more and more niche funds uh, seeking to do things differently. And this includes people who have been in venture, perhaps working at larger firms, didn't like what they saw or didn't like what they were unable to do. And decided to spin out and start their own firms.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting trend to note. Um, do you think that then the future of the venture capital firms that we'll see will tend to be more niche, just based on this, because we're seeing a lot of this kind of trend of diversification pop up?
0: Yeah, I think this will last just uh, probably one one fund cycle, and then I think we'll start to see some strategic consolidations where. You'll have a couple of firms that are similar in their in their thesis, and uh, and they'll start to to invest together. I don't think that the that investing as a generalist with a diversity lens can last forever because you will be you will be beat by by folks who have a deeper niche focus with the diversity lens. So um, yeah, I think there will be some shifts. In the next five years in this ecosystem, I don't think it is, it will, it will continue to grow in terms of, uh, in terms of niche.
1: When we think about opportunities for Latinos in these next coming years in venture capital, what do those opportunities look like? Yeah,
0: I would say. Latinx VC is a nonprofit organization that I'm, I'm involved with. I've, I've helped co-found the organization in 2019. And the goal behind uh, you know, those of us who, who started was really to increase the ecosystem of Latino funders and founders. And so we're working on things like allocating, uh, connecting uh, limited partners in, with fund managers. We are creating an ecosystem of fund managers uh, we're publishing jobs so that more Latinos can break into venture, and uh, and so I think that's that that that's a great avenue for anyone interested in breaking in or growing within, or spinning off. Uh, that'll be a great network to join. Uh, so there are opportunities to invest in funds, raise a fund, join a fund. Invest as an angel. We're seeing more and more syndicate opportunities where founders are saying, I want a piece of my pie to go to uh, underrepresented folks who typically don't have access. And this is happening in many later stage deals as well. And so organizations like the Cap Table Coalition and the Investors of Color Network are creating that avenue for access. Angeles Investors is doing this too. So there are just so many opportunities, whether you're in the corporate world and want to stay there. you're you know retired, Whoa. wherever you are, uh, there's an opportunity for you to get involved with the tech ecosystem or the venture ecosystem.
1: I I really like this kind of invitation for people across fields to come to the table, because it does seem like venture capital can benefit from people of different expertises as the venture capital firms also tend to uh, or begin to go more niche um, and focus on niche companies and their performance. If someone wants to get involved um, in venture capital, hasn't had previous exposure to them, perhaps is in the corporate world listening to this podcast, what would be a good way to get started um, in, in kind of lean into learning how this world works okay i'll give you a few resources one is the angeles
0: investors network and this is a coalition of uh latino professionals across fields who want to come together and invest in other latinos so angeles investors out of chicago Um, for for women there's the portfolio network of funds um, this is a network that is all about getting more women into the ecosystem as LPs. Every year, micro funds are launched. They're primarily led by women. They have different areas of focus. And beyond making an investment at a very accessible uh, floor of 10K, you can also have the access to dial into monthly meetings, hear pitches, hear um, pitches see the, the lead investors deliberate and even be part of a diligence team. So that is the kind of access that is hard to you know, hard to get um, and Portfolio really provides it as a means for education and an on-ramp to then doing more in venture. Um, I would recommend both of these networks over the traditional angel networks.
1: Thank you, Norma, for all those resources. And we'll be listening for everyone in the show notes. Um, and Norma, one of the, uh, ways that I caught wind of your name actually is because you've been very vocal for a long time about representation of Latinos in the venture capital space. And I know you gave Yahoo Finance an interview actually close to, closer to the top of this year, just speaking about, um, the, the progress that we've seen in terms of representation in this space, just kind of as an update and follow-up to that. How do you feel about the progress we've made when we see Latinos and Latinas even in this space, um, uh, thus far?
0: yeah um i feel frustrated and hopeful so <laughs> frustrated excited and hopeful how about that so um i'll give you two two pieces of data so in 2019 um we hosted our first gp showcase of latino-led firms uh through Latinx VC, and we showcased about 11 fund managers representing 600 million in assets under management collectively, right? So we said, here are 11 people, they're doing their own thing. If they can raise the capital they aim to raise, it represents a $600 million opportunity. Uh, We just held that same showcase uh, again in mid-November and we put out a call for applicants, right? To to see who was out there. And, And we knew that the number would be higher We had no idea the number would be over 3x higher. So we heard from 37 Latinos and Latinas um, across the country building their own firms, this time representing 2.5 billion in AUM. And so that's exciting growth. It's still, you know, it it doesn't even double the 1%, um, but, but it is significant growth. Many of those firms are led by women. And, uh, and so it makes me really hopeful because, again, we know that the, the more diverse the check writer is, the more diverse the portfolio will be. So that means that this $2.5 billion in, in AUM in the community is going to have a very positive effect. On this, I'll say another data point is um, the supply chain capital invested in a Latina led company, Agua Bonita, out of the California Central Valley, making uh, aguas frescas in a better for you format. And uh, there was an article written about the, the CEO, Kayla Castaneda, and it talked about her being the first Afro-Latina to raise over a million dollars. And I wanted to celebrate her, but it also made me sad because I thought, how can this be, right? How, how can it be that that this is the, the first one when, when one million is such a you know large number but small for venture. So th- we, we have a long way to go. and the the number of emerging Latino led firms in this space is something that we should all be very excited and hopeful about. And these are these are funds anywhere from half a million dollars to over 100 million dollars. And, uh, and that's exciting.
1: And Agua Bonita is definitely on our list of of companies that we're watching because we're all excited about having accessible hours. But with the perk that it's better for you, so really yeah. exciting. Congratulations um, for for your work with them. But as you said, you know, I there is the sense that we really hope that this is the beginning of of much more because that one million um, mark, while significant, um, is 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 kind of necessary for companies to to reach and then move past in order to continue scaling and growing um, and then finally as we kind of turn back to supply chain capital and the impact you've been able to make um, we know at least um, I can speak to my Mexican background and and our our, our Latino background it food is very important to our culture. Um, and so I really love this mission of focusing at the intersection of food, culture, and technology. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you choose the companies that you invest in?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, this is, this is so squarely. I mean, it it hits on so many things that I care about. Um, so I'll give you the data first, (laughs) data first, always, uh, we, we will be closing out the year with seven investments. Um, 86% of those companies are led by underrepresented founders. Uh, 57% are led by women. 86% reduce the food system impact on climate. And 71% promote healthier communities. So when you ask, how do we, you know, how do we choose um, the companies we invest in? Uh, really, the, the, the bottom of the pyramid here is that we know that the future of the food system has to be climate-centric and it has to be inclusive. And so our impact lens it hinges on every single company we invest in either being more sustainable, representing a healthier option, or reflecting diversity. And many of our companies are actually hitting all three. So sustainability, sustainability, health, and diversity. That is the impact lens. We are a returns first focus fund with a heavy lens for impact and those are the three impact areas. There are three sectors we invest in specifically, and that is food and ag tech across the supply chain, ingredient technology and this means you know, lots of um, alternative proteins, deep fermentation technology, and then we invest in consumer products that have cultural appeal. So this means, uh, Agua Bonita. This means a company like Io Foods becoming the national platform for West African foods, flavors, and ingredients. These are by and for the community type of brands that have the potential to be, you know, to have mass market appeal. So we we believe that these have been incredibly overlooked in in, in the food space, and there's an opportunity to really revamp them, right? Think of you know, older and more stale brands like Goya, like Tapatio. I mean, you know, I grew up on it and it, (laughs) and, and, and it's, uh, it's time for, for something that is more sustainable and better for you. Um, so that is how we consider investments.
1: I love that. It makes me so excited to see what the future of these products look like, what may be on the shelves of, um, in, in in my future, uh and, and my nieces and nephews, because I say I say nieces and nephews because you know they are all at the forefront of of all the marketing that's coming to like via TikTok, via Instagram, uh, but certainly mine too. Um, and so seeing these new brands emerge is certainly something that excites me. So thank you so much for your work in this space and for sharing with us a little bit more about the work that you do, Nona I Me. Mean? The last question mm-hmm. that I like to ask everyone on the podcast is what has been your biggest money learning thus far. And I know that this is really tough. So it can just be something that comes to mind, um, uh, that you might be able to share with us.
0: Yeah. Uh, can I tell you a quick story? We love story-based learning. Okay. Absolutely. So, so quick story. Um, my dad is one of 13 children. He started working at the age of five, selling newspaper, shining shoes, uh, came to this country. He became a dishwasher busboy, worked in a kitchen for 15 years and then in a factory. And one day he's, I think I was away at college, came home and he's, he wants to tell the story about something that happened at work. And so we're all sitting around the table and we're thinking, he probably got a raise. He probably got promoted, but he, he's telling the story and he says, the owner of the factory came down the floor, you know, came to talk to me specifically, told me I was doing a great job, asked me if I needed anything. And then he pauses and we're like, okay, what, what okay, that's great. And, uh, and I said, no, and we thought, okay, there's something else coming. And then the owner asked, you know, asked him specifically, do you need a raise? Would you like a raise? And my dad said, no. And he said, no, um, he said, no, thank you. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And so, even when the recognition and the potential for additional capital came to him, his like his humility uh, would not enable him to reach out and grab it. And so, that was such a turning point for me because I stared at him and I just all I wanted to do was yell and say, "How could you do that?" Um, But I really understood where he was coming from and how that was so deeply seated in our culture. Um, And all it did for me was really continue to light that fire in my belly to say, my life will be different. And so my biggest money learning is that wanting to build wealth is okay. And that we actually can't wait until someone comes and finds you and taps you on the shoulder to say, do you want this? right? We've got to go out and look for it. Um, and so that, that's been my biggest learning. It always—it chokes me up to, to remember that and to picture him in that, in that position. But it is, uh, I think so many of us grow up with lessons around what not to do or how to take one of these opportunities and really turn it into a driving force. And it has been a driving force for me.
1: Thank you, Noramay. That was, I think, better than just stating the lesson. The stories really convey, I think, and they resonate with a lot of people. I know that they resonate with me and and how we grew up to think we should view work and, and our contributions. So thank you so much for your work and, and your time. Thank you. That was Noramay Cadena, Managing Partner of Supply Change Capital. You can continue to follow her venture capital firm under the handle at Supply Change Cap on Twitter and find Nora May at NoraMYC. Hasta la próxima. Thank you, Mijente, for joining us this week on Moneda Moves. Before you go, please make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they are released. You can follow right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Also, continue keeping cuentas and keeping tabs on our Latinx community and money moves via our free newsletter written by yours truly at monedamoves.substack.com That's monedamoves.substack.com I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima.